This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, folks. This is Rick Wilson, and welcome to The Daily Beasts, The New Abnormal. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, a left-wing pundit and an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. I'm also an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast, a former Republican political strategist, best-selling author, and full-time troublemaker. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. We take the issues seriously. Ourselves, not so much. Our world has been turned upside down. On The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we get ourselves out of it. Hi, Rick Wilson. Hello, Molly Jongfast. How are you today? I'm good. So you know who's in your state of Florida right now? Is it noted lap dancer and erotic gymnast Kevin McCarthy? Yes. That's how he's usually described, so that makes a lot of sense. As most people do. Glitter Kevin. That's right. Glitter Kevin with pasties. McCarthy. Yeah. He's nice in the wig. You know, I have to say, I've always been told that his work in the champagne room is excellent. I've oh, never Jesus. experienced it myself. We have but really, we're really heading in a Folks, this is going to be one of those shows. Dark. This is going to be one of those shows that goes way off the fucking rails. Yeah. It already <laughs> seems problematic. Talk to me about what the fuck is happening. Well, why is Kevin McCarthy in Mar-a-Lago, you're asking? I'm asking your hot take on it. I will give you the answer. Kevin McCarthy is in Mar-a-Lago because he's Donald Trump's bitch, for one thing. And the House of Representatives is comprised of the Trump Party, with the exception of 10 or 11 reps um, who were not in the Trump Party. And they are on the what we call the Endangered Species Party. Those people are experiencing a form of pain and suffering they had not expected, which is they're not going to be getting corporate donations right. this cycle. They are, they are associated now with the racist plan to disenfranchise tens of millions of African-American voters by executing what the Trump lawsuits failed to do, by executing that in Congress. They were you know unsuccessful, but they still embraced it completely. They wanted to overturn the election. They're the pro-sedition, pro-insurrection, pro-mob party. And as we've talked about on this show and elsewhere, that's bad for your brand. It's just not good for your brand. <laughs> Being the racist pro-mob party, I don't know what could go wrong. Why won't Nike advertise with us or fund us? You know, So he's down there trying to shore up uh, and get access to Trump's email list and get the RNC's email list, which Trump still controls because he still controls the RNC from afar and get access to those to that money. He needs that money so he can fundraise. He also is worried because Matt Gates is actively planning to try to take the title of minority leader from him. He's out there hustling. Ooh. Why is Matt Gates going to campaign against Liz Cheney? Because he's trying to get the MAGA predicate of running the 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 MAGA caucus in the House and thus the Republican caucus in the House. I think I think McCarthy's got Matt Gates in the rearview mirror now. You know, he's not worried about Jim Jordan anymore. Jim Jordan's going to run for Senate. If Matt is a is an immediate threat if Matt decides to go at him, and it looks like he is because he's doing these things very publicly. 
to go out, uh, you know, to campaign against Liz Cheney, the apostate, and all that other stuff. So, look, it, it's just it's a, it's just also a sign, by the way, if you needed an additional sign that Kevin McCarthy has no bottom, as the Brits say, he has no no integrity, he has no no guts, no soul, no 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 moment of recognition that the time for for Donald Trump just passed us by. Right. It does feel like McCarthy is really giving Trump the Republican Party. Yeah, he really is. I mean, there was like a chance where the Republican Party was going to escape from Trump's clutches. And then he McCarthy was like, too scary. Let's go back. Yeah. And, you know, but he is he's now recognized that the Trump Party controls the Congressional Republican Caucus. And unless he keeps Donald Trump happy, he'll be out. You know, he could say right. to Donald Trump, I love you more than Matt Gates." I do. I do. And just one one more bottle of champagne and I'll make my quota for the night, sir. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's no sex in the champagne room. Sorry, right. movie quote. Oh, God. I'm scared. <laughs> Did I happen to see that a certain podcast host uh, made a little Fox News appearance? Oh, I, I wouldn't say I made an appearance. I would say that Sean, Sean Hannity in his special Rick Wilson room that he keeps in the back of the studio. But behind Sean, behind Sean's makeup room, there's a special secret room and it's pictures of me all over the wall. And, <laughs> and, and whenever Sean goes in there, he looks at me because I didn't want to go to the prom with him anyway. I hate him. I love him. I hate him. I love him. So Sean puts me on the other night with the greatest Chiron ever. And it was just me like doing whatever I do on MSNBC the other day. It's just like, they're like, Trump hater goes on unhinged rant. I'm like, that was like so close to, un- so close to hinged. I don't even know what it was. I was just like <laughs> laying it out, like doing my usual indictment of their fuckery. But this has become like a part of their thing. So then he brings Gates on. Right. And Matt Gates does probably, and it, it was so funny because one of Gates's most prominent funders and and supporters in Panama City sends me a, a, a message right after it. He goes, oh, God, he sounds like a teenage girl. Yeah, Matt that Gates, was particularly Matt Gates went on TV, and he just lost, and he did have an unhinged rant about me. And he's like, well, Rick Wilson says I suck on Twitter, but I have more followers. I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Yeah, that was like, not My girlfriend great. in Canada thinks I have a big penis. <laughs> She's a supermodel. <laughs> that was not a great look. It was so desperate. It was so thirsty. I was like, "Good God, man, get the fuck out of here!" What, do you think that that Matt Gates just has no embarrassment? I mean, wouldn't you be embarrassed to go on television and be like, "I have more followers than this person," so obviously, I'm good at internet. <laughs> Like, wouldn't you find that embarrassing? I'm better I would on the find Twitter that machine. embarrassing. It was right? embarrassing. It was so. It was so embarrassing. It, it was just like. It was like what you 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 more what <laughs> right? I mean, and the irony is, of course, this all comes back to this like feed the feed the oppression machine of the Fox audience. Feed the feed the oh the the elites look down on you. You are the smart ones. They're the idiots. I have more Twitter followers. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, bro. I mean, come on. It's really kind of insane. There's some part, okay, in the minds of Matt Gates and Sean Hannity where they think, we owned him. We owned Rick Wilson. We owned the lib. Our lives are complete for the day. <laughs> it's just like, what world do you live in? What do you think happens now? Well, look, we are going to enter into this impeachment and... 
if the Democrats do not understand the political utility of impeachment, hello, Tim Kaine, they are missing the boat. It's good for a democracy. It's good for the Democrats. It's good to get this stuff no, out No, it's there. good for the country. Get the public record, yeah. Yeah, it's good for the country. And it clearly, it clearly isn't just a little bit justified. It's utterly justified. Every day tells us more. Every day tells us more about what was going on, about the fact that there was a conspiracy at the highest degree inside the Trump circle the night before this thing. You know, when you've got Ali Alexander talking with and the Tommy senior most- Tuberville. At, right, at, right. At, yes, and Tommy Tuberville and the senior most members of the Trump advisory circle. Yeah, who happened to be all as dumb as Ali Alexander. Are you kidding me that there's no tie here, that there's no link here, that there's no- I mean, this is the kind of like conspiracy case that a 22-year-old brand new minted prosecutor could make. This is not rocket science at this point. And- I talked to somebody early this morning who said, you know, my theory of the case is that is that they're waiting, that they've already they're they're figuring out which one is gonna break and squeal and doesn't want to do jail time. And I think it's probably a pretty good theory of the case. But the, you know, the Justice Department is suddenly like taking this kind of shit seriously again. And I can't yes, imagine well, why. There must have been something that happened in the last 10 days that changed the Justice Department. I can't I can't put my finger on it, but it, it seems to be pretty important. Yeah. What else was Bill Barr sitting on? I know. You know. Well, that is a question, I think. So today, Nancy Pelosi chastised Marjorie Taylor Greene pretty bad after Jimmy Gomez introduced a move to expel her from Congress for all the wackadoodle things she's been saying over the years. I think it says a lot about Kevin McCarthy that Marjorie Taylor Greene is a white-hot QAnon lunatic who was abusive to people in profound ways and who is a shit-tier human being of the worst possible character. She is somebody you wouldn't let in your house. She is somebody you wouldn't seat in a restaurant. If her behavior was iterated out in the public space without without her having the, the name member of Congress in her title, she would not have a role or a place in any society. Okay. The only way she holds any position right now is twofold. One, Kevin McCarthy supported her politically and financially to win that seat. And now Kevin McCarthy has named her to committee assignments. Okay. And this woman is batshit bug fuckadoo crazy. Not only was she yelling at the at the Parkland kids, but she was also on Facebook liking things like we need to put a bullet between people's eyes. And they weren't like joking. It wasn't metaphorical. It wasn't like we got to take that guy out. It was her showing us who she is. It was her telling us what she is, what she believes, what is really inside that ugly fucking void of her soul. McCarthy knows who she is. He knows what she does. And he put her on the fucking education committee. Are you fucking kidding me? Get the fuck out of here. The problem is when you go for her, and I, I'm not saying you shouldn't because you absolutely should because she's a complete lunatic. You also have like Lauren Boebert, who is clearly it's in some way involved in this capital sure. thing, if just in her encouragement of it. And then you have Mo Brooks, who spoke at the Stop the Steal rally. So if I could quote Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Mo Brooks and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz in barbecue sauce right. and release them <laughs> Those people don't belong in Congress. They don't belong in the Senate. They belong in a lunatic asylum. They belong on the edges and fringes of society. They belong in fucking on the on the chat rooms at, at 4chan, not here. Do we think that there's any world in which any of these people get censured? No. We're going to try. We're going to push it. 
Josh Hawley is now an embarrassment in the Senate, and he is hated. Josh Hawley's having trouble. Nobody wants to sit next to Josh Hawley in the lunchroom now. Let's put it that way. But Josh Hawley got about $700,000 from a PAC. You saw that, right? Yeah, from from the Conservative Leadership Fund, which, you know, what? They're making up for the fact that his corporate money has been blown out. And look, he got about $250,000 in corporate money that we could identify last go-round. And he is now the poster boy for this post-conservative conservatism. They are not conservatives anymore, just bears, bears mentioning. They are now authoritarians with a bent towards, towards a post-constitutional America. They think the Constitution is now a point of weakness, not a point of strength, and so they're going to try to support and lift him up. Um, I'm going to try to to I'm going to try to raise the same amount of money or more to just to blast him away, just just to counter 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 uh, to countervail that that donation, because I'd like to just be on TV for a week reminding people that Josh Hawley, a few hours before the mob swarmed the Capitol to murder cops, was out there giving him the big high fist, yeah man, come on, and that he was on the floor of the goddamn Senate. That day, feeding the beast of their lunatic conspiracy theories, saying, oh, yeah, this election was stolen. It was hacked. It was rigged. Come at us. I am no fan of Mike Pence, but they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. And there was a noose hanging from a Yes, Yes, there was. A gibbet. Is the uh, gibbet is the technical term, but yes. So they just don't give a shit about Mike Pence? No, they don't. Mike Pence is gone now, but they give all the shits about Donald Trump still. Okay, here's the theory. Here's the theory that that we hear is floating around inside the Senate right now. Well, if we don't convict him, he'll just go away. If we don't convict him, uh, he'll he'll disappear. He'll sink into the into the into obscurity. He'll never bother us again. And the of course answer to that question is: Are you kidding me? If you if you feed the monster. Does the monster go away or does the monster say, feed me more? Well, I also think fundamentally you don't avoid autocracy by ignoring autocracy. Yes, that's correct. And while the, while the individual members of the Senate are all what I, doing what I call the alligator fried chicken theory, which is you can keep throwing the alligator fried chicken sitting on the edge of the dock, but when you're out of fried chicken, he bites your foot off. Okay, They keep thinking they're going to be the last one, like that they're the last piece of fried chicken and they're going to be okay. They're not. He will always be there doing this to them from afar. He will haunt them until he is dead. And once he's dead, they'll upload him to the cloud and he'll haunt them for all of eternity until the heat death of the universe. This is the only path to cutting off the pernicious infection and the metastasizing cancer that is Trumpism is to vote to convict him. Now, I recognize that that would take people in the Senate on the Republican side with these rare and terrifying characteristics that are unimaginable in modern American politics. Things like courage and integrity and patriotism and a love of country and putting country before party and putting yourself before your before your political put, putting your f- political system before your 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 political prospects all these things would be would be easy but they're also in in congress you know rare as hen's teeth as my grandma would say yeah so basically the dhs had a warning that their white supremacists may have been emboldened by trump's insurgents and may actually take more violence against elected officials. Weird, you think? <laughs> I know, who could have seen this? But you know what's interesting is like this continually happens where we see 
that Trumpism begets white supremacy, begets more violence, begets, you know, like this is clearly a, a cycle. And then Republicans are like, we really need to move on. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, we, we, of course, we just need to move on. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. I, sorry. I drove drunk, ran my car through the front of your house, killed your dog. <laughs> but right. can we just move on? <laughs> right. Because unity. Right, because you, the greatest fucking – the world's supply of irony like sucked down into a black hole with Ted Cruz on TV. Now it's time for us to all come together. Now it's time to be unified. The only thing we're going to be unified in this country is that everyone hates Ted Cruz. Right. But the gumption of it, the, the chutzpah of it, the crazy fucking balls on these people to come out and go – now it's time to, to unify. We can't have more division and hate in this country because after the peaceful years of Donald Trump, don't we deserve an even better and more beautifully glorious cooperative republic? Get out of here. What about when they're like, how dare Joe Biden fire Trump's weird political appointees that he installed to try to mess up Joe Biden? <laughs> right. That's my favorite. They're, how dare they fire the woman that, Trump installed to run, you know, whatever, you know, whatever agency into the ground. Doesn't he want unity? (laughs) Jonathan Allen is the co-author of the upcoming book, Lucky. As well, he's the senior political analyst at NBC News. Hi, John Allen. Hi, Molly. John Fast. I'm very excited to have John Allen here today because... He is also my friend. True. <laughs> and his wife is my friend, and his children are my children's friends. So it's very exciting for me. And, and your mom is, uh, like, the unofficial sex ed teacher for my children. That is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so you have a book coming out. First, just tell us what the title of the book is. You wrote a book like this about the Hillary Clinton campaign, too. Well, with a different ending this time. Right. It's sort of the key. <laughs> the key difference is that there's a different ending. But yeah, it's it's a similar book in that it's um, sort of the behind the scenes of the 2020 election and the things that you didn't know about the things that you knew about. That is, you saw a debate on stage, you didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, you thought that the polls were going to say one thing. Here's what the campaign thought behind the scenes. Here's what they were doing. Lots of juicy nuggets and inside the room detail on that, just like shattered. But again, the outcome here obviously is different. This book is called Lucky, and my co-author and I, Amy Barnes, will be talking about more about what's in it um, as it comes closer to coming out, which is March 2nd, but it is available at your online retailer now for pre-order. I feel like I have to say that and also want to. <laughs> I have a question wait, about Wait, the- let me say that again. Lucky, <laughs> March 2nd, 2021. Um, and for, for the incels who might be listening, my guess is there aren't that many, you can get lucky on March 2nd. I have a question for you about the book. Is this the first campaign book out? Uh, I believe that it'll be the first like major campaign book out. I, I haven't seen other campaign books, and I'm not aware of any that are expected to come out before this one. I, I'm aware of several that are coming out later. So basically, your life has been a misery for the last three months. I mean, that's fair. Probably more of a misery to the people around me. But yes, it's uh, the final stage of writing a book are, uh, as you know, I've read your books, which are awesome. And people should go buy your uh, your books about social climbing. Or at and least murdering. pretend to have read them. No, I've actually read them. <laughs> no, I know. But that's unusual. 
I, so people should people should read your your books. They're um, they're phenomenal. You're uh, as they can tell from the Daily Beast. You're a great writer. But oh, thank you, friend. All right. So you've been working in Congress for a gazillion years, and one of the things that I like to do is call you up when something doesn't make sense to me. So I think there's a lot of confusion. We talked about this with Adam Gentleson, so we're not going to get too much into this. But because everything is so close, and the Democrats have majorities that are so tight in both the House and the Senate. It means that we have to spend a lot more time thinking about the minutia of Congress and its rules, because Democrats can't break them the way that Republicans could for any number of reasons, mostly because they're Democrats. So um, I'm curious to know what you think is going to happen with the COVID relief. It's a great question. I think ultimately you're going to get a much slimmed down version of what Biden offered in the first place. It won't be the $1.9 trillion. If there's money for state and local governments, it'll be smaller than he's proposing. That should not be surprising because in a normal uh, process, um, you know, forget the last four years where there was no process and it was just the president making whimsical decisions on things. Uh, one side offers one thing, the other side offers another, and they spend some time negotiating the difference, right? And that's what Biden is accustomed to. And that's the way things have worked in the Washington that he wants us to see and that he believes can work again. I, you know, I think there are a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who uh, and forgive me for using the term both sides, but a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who think that those times are dead and will never come back and that one party should jam them through. But I think the think thought process on Biden's part is uh, very clearly, you set out your marker for what you want, the other side counters, and then you find some area in between. So you don't predict re they'll use reconciliation, which is basically not using the filibuster and just having one party get something. It could end up going to that. I mean, the urgency of getting relief now should, there should be urgency. I live right near the Capitol and between me and the Capitol, I'm like seven, eight blocks away. There is a tent city in a little park, right? Like the people in this country are suffering. Um, and so, so many of us, you know, are lucky, fortunate. We have jobs. You know, our bank accounts haven't been, you know, ripped apart by COVID. But so many people in this country are suffering. And these members of Congress walk into that building every day and they pass people in tents. And I, I just, it's mind boggling to me that they can't figure out how to at least do little bursts. So it may be that it ends up going into reconciliation. But I would also, you know, for those who look at reconciliation as like some sort of like, you know, I, I don't even know the right word. I'm looking for something like the golden dagger, the silver bullet. Reconciliation, the process of that is very difficult in and of itself and often requires the majority party to essentially break the parliamentarian, right? To outvote the parliamentarian to get things done. And even then it can be difficult. It's a very arcane and complex process. One of the problems with the COVID vaccine is that the states doesn't don't have money to set up the infrastructure to give the vaccine. Do you think that money is going to come through? I mean, that seems more bipartisan. It may come through, but the Republicans are um, very much debt hawks situationally. Right now. Yes. <laughs> right. And so after Donald Trump got done spending trillions and trillions of dollars uh, without paying for them on various uh, things that the Republicans liked, military, tax cuts, whatever, uh, now they're like in super deficit hog mode. I don't think Biden's going to get what he wants for the states. And some of them are perfectly happy to sink their own states. I mean, look, Mitch McConnell comes from a state, Kentucky, where the budget was like ripped apart by COVID last year. And he wasn't, he didn't want to put in money for the state. And, you know, I mean, one, one reason we can assume is that it has a Democratic governor, right? Like, so right. he doesn't want the Democratic governor to get a boost from the federal government to make it easier 
to bring help to the people of his own state. It's just hard to fathom some sometimes right. like the it degree to which these people are partisan versus um, in you know in the interest of bettering the, the lives of their constituents. I mean, it definitely feels like the continual threat of the Republican Party is trying to make government not work to prove that it's bad. I mean, Grover Norquist once said it best: it's best the idea is to reduce the government to the size that you could drag it into the bath tr- bathtub and drown it. Yeah. Nobody said it more precisely than what you know one vein of thinking is. That is not to say all Republicans believe government is bad. You know, like Rob Portman, who's just uh, announced that he's going to retire, is somebody who believes in government. He may believe in limited government, but he believes in government. Served as OMB director, etc. And he's found there's no place for him in the Republican Party now. And what's amazing about that is that he's very conservative. He's just very conservative and believes that there should be a government and a republic that reflects the one that the founders put in place. These should not be difficult things for any member of Congress to accept, that there should be a government that should reflect the republic that the founders wanted. It feels like anti-democracy is like a big thread in this Republican Party. That's Trump to a T. I mean, there are obviously people who like the idea of a powerful authoritarian dictator type. Moron. And there are people who believe in a republic with dispersed power uh, between the branches of government and that, that it is against the interests of the country to sack one of its branches of government. So let's talk about the other thing, which seems to actually be a real issue, which is the safety of our leaders. Yeah, it's a real issue. Yeah, there's this warning yesterday that they're that a lot of these elected officials may be targets and then they are con- clearly concerned and then there are the groups of people who are chanting Mike Pence and had a noose. So talk to me what do you think is going to happen here can the can these leaders protect themselves is there money for that and I mean, have you ever seen this in your years of covering Congress? I mean, if everything's working, they shouldn't need protection. But everything's not working, and they do need protection, and we've seen it get worse. I spent a lot of time with uh, Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords before she got shot in the head in 2010. Steve Scalise, the Republican whip, as everyone knows, was uh, you know nearly paralyzed by a shooter. This keeps going on, and there are no consequences. And I, by that, I don't mean that there's like, no individual consequence. Somebody might go to prison for for having uh, taken such an act, but there's no consequence for the targeting of lawmakers, um, and that which is much broader than just these, you know, very tragic and dramatic scenes of members of Congress being shot or being chased out of their offices in the Capitol. There is a fundamental problem when some segment of the public believes that it can get away with physically attacking members of Congress, physically threatening members of Congress. You should be able to yell whatever the heck you want at them about their policy positions, about you know their personal life or whatever you want. You should not be able to threaten. There's no fr- there's no freedom of speech that protects that. You should not be able to like conspire with others to endanger them. That there's nothing that protects that in our constitution, and it's just so dangerous for our democracy, so dangerous for our republic. And when you talk about physical protection, like it would be nice if we were in a place where people were afraid of attacking members of Congress to the point that they didn't do it, so you didn't need every single one of these people to have security. I mean, I've always thought that they were, you know, in the past, I thought that there was too much security in that a bunch of people who weren't, like, in the chain of command had, detail, you know, security right. details and SUVs and stuff, and it's like... Like the president, the ex-president's kids. And it's like the perk that they want, right? Right. 
They weren't really in danger back then. Now they're in danger. Now every single one of them is in danger. And they're in danger not only from the outside, they're in danger from the inside because some of their colleagues are trying right. to get them targeted, trying to have them hurt. And that's, it's just unfathomable. Imagine being, you know, part of a union or a social club or something where, you know, somebody, other members felt like they could tell folks that, you know, hey, look, go over, get that guy, go beat him up, go find him. Yeah. Go hurt him or her. And a lot of them won't go through, right? They're, the the gun-toting Congress people won't go through the metal detector, which was put up to prevent them from going through the metal detector. Right. A lot of them are unwilling to do that. And for years, members of Congress have been able to walk into the Capitol without going through metal detectors, magnetometers. What's amazing to me is all these people who talk about conceal and carry, all these members of Congress, I conceal and, you know, I'm always ready. Like, they ran too. Right. Because their gun was not going to protect them against a mob. Right. Which is why the Capitol Police didn't shoot into the mob. Right. The whole thing is just kind of amazing. So you really know the ins and outs of Congress. And I'm curious to know, what can Nancy Pelosi do about a Congress person or a bunch of Congress people who won't go through the metal detector, or who won't wear masks? I mean, really, the floor of Congress has become... A kind of little, a kind of microcosm of America's weird anti-public health, anti-gun safety world, and anti-authority, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's these folks are you know walking around. It's like a like a privilege problem. It's like if your you know nine year olds all had you know tons of money and weapons and stuff and got to walk around to school and teachers trying to tell them, hey, like, you need to, like, be safe. And they're like, what's going to happen to me? So what can Nancy Pelosi do? Can she do anything? She can find them. She really can. I think she can find them. Uh, I think she can also take away office perks and whatever. But I mean, at the end of the day, like, these are people who are elected by their constituents. And, you know, it's uh, unless they get expelled from the House of Representatives, there's not much she can do. They they will either respond to the you know negative feedback about the way they're behaving, or they won't. And then you know maybe at some point they try to go down the road of expelling people. But you you've got you know if you're the Democrats, you have to pick up I don't know what it is about a quarter to a third or so of the Republican conference to agree with you to expel somebody. And by the way, that's a really harsh measure that should not be taken lightly because the constituents of that person elected them and. Of course, they would elect somebody who is more extreme to replace a person who got expelled. Steve King is the closest thing we've seen to a kind of censure. And he was taken off all his committees and sort of allowed to stay in Congress. But can you explain exactly what happened there? And is that applicable to a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Lauren Boper? Well, I think what happened is the Republican Party decided that Steve King was more harmful to the rest of the party with what he was saying and doing. Uh, than he was helpful in holding his house seat. Um, and so they stripped him of, of his committee assignments and they uh, they all distanced themselves from him and they said what a terrible person he was. And, you know, they, they went through all that, all of that, and uh, it was out of self-interest. And I mean, that's kind of how the house has generally policed itself, not just in a partisan fashion, but more broadly, they, they police themselves in their own self-interest, which is why they have an ethics committee that has, you know, no real legal bearing, but they want to be able to say we distance ourselves 
from this behavior that this person has exhibited. With King, not everybody in the Republican Party hated him, but like a lot of them did. He made them look bad. But they must feel the same. I mean, is Marjorie Taylor Greene so different than King, except that Marjorie Taylor Greene is rich, right? On that conference call yesterday, she supposedly said she was going to donate $175,000 to the state party, and the leaders were thrilled. So, I mean, I do think money definitely plays a role there, right? Money plays a role, and the times have changed. I mean, you know, there was... (laughs) The, Re- the Republican Party is a Trump Republican Party. But Steve King was like two years ago. I know. It doesn't matter. It's, it's changed so fast. The, the Republican establishment was trying to stop Steve King from being the face of the party in the House. It's not that they necessarily disagreed with him, right? Like, it's right. not It's not That's that they really felt depressing. like what he's saying is so crazy. It's that they were like, what he's saying is hurting us. Because other people think it's crazy. That is really depressing. I have to say, that is really fucking depressing. Kevin McCarthy's meeting with Donald Trump today. Kevin McCarthy had to flee his office. (laughs) He begged Donald Trump to speak to stop what was going on as it was going on, and Trump was silent. And now Kevin McCarthy is going to apologize to Donald Trump. So, like, I mean, you know, I don't don't know what to do with that. (laughs) It's pretty deranged. If you come at my house and try to kill you or you send your goons to my house, one thing I will not be doing is apologizing to you and begging for your, you know, for your forbearance. That's pretty fucking grim. I have a question, which is what broke Devin Nunes's brain? I mean, there are so many ways to answer that question. It's a Rorschach. Look, Nunes was always somebody who was a little bit uh, allured by uh, conspiracy theories. (laughs) He's got that kind of like just like a little bit. And then he became like the intelligence chairman and he actually got evidence of some of the things he suspected. You know, here's what happens in the secret world. And I think those two things interacted in an unusual way in Congressman Nunez (laughs) and have sort of changed the way that he deals with the world. You would get (laughs) a different answer from the Twitter handle Devin Nunez's cow, which would probably tell you that it was mad cow disease. They're trying to take their couriers to rehab, but we're saying no. Well, folks, now that the Trump administration and Trump allies and supporters have scattered to the winds like a bunch of cockroaches and the light comes on in a tenement kitchen in the middle of the night, they are all running out there trying to whitewash their careers, trying to pretend they never served in the Trump administration, trying to say, I'm just a normal, everyday person. And I would like a new job, please, preferably in the $500,000 a year range. So we're not going to let them. We're going to keep our eye out for these folks. We're going to keep an eye out for who they are, what they're doing, and how they're lying about what they, what role they played in the Trump era. So we've got our eyes on them. And with this week, we have a brand new segment called Career Rehab. Right, where we find the people from Trump world who are trying to remake themselves and escape Trumpism. Our first person who is trying to recreate himself, I think he's actually going to really thinks he's going to be the candidate in 2024. Don't you? Absolutely. Mike Pence is looking for a brief landing spot before uh, Mike Pence. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm thinking of another oleaginous, tepid, vanilla paste. Another boring white guy. When I think about which is the most boring white guy, I mean, Mike Pence would like clearly top Pompeo. I, I have to say Pompeo is just there's something about him that is so incredibly unctuous. It's just hard to take. It's so true, Molly. That's exactly what, that's exactly the word for it. He is just, I mean, just such a, such a, 
It is so repulsive. He's like Don Jr. without the charm. And Don Jr. is like Don Sr. without the charm. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. Look, Mike Pompeo was not this guy five years ago. But like a lot of people, he decided the way of Trump is the way of truth. I shall become the MAGA. And it's like, snatch the freedom from my hand, little grasshopper. I am I am Mike Pompeo, and I will transform myself into the biggest dick I could possibly be. <laughs> I mean, Mike Pompeo, as Secretary of State, spent the last several days of his, of his tenure essentially trolling people on Twitter through the official State Department account. He, he is a guy who was the ultimate Trump suck-up, the ultimate Trump ass-kisser in the, in, the, in the White House and in the administration. He was a constant, oh no, Mr. President, your farts smell like rainbows and elderberries. It's delicious. Yeah, this guy was just, it was just over the top. And now the Hudson Institute has apparently decided that Mike Pompeo is a, is a valued asset to their lineup. I am curious who the Hudson Institute is funded by, but I suppose we'll find out soon enough because Mike Pompeo is only going to be there for a hot minute until his First visits to Iowa, which should happen sometime around June of this year. I don't see a world where Mike Pompeo, I mean, he makes Josh Hawley look charismatic. Well, I mean, Mike Pompeo looks like a guy who's like, who's lost control of the Elks Lodge meeting. And he's yeah. banging the gavel as hard as he can against the against the, the the table in the banquet hall. He's not a guy who comes across as modern day presidential. He doesn't. Now you'll know Mike. You'll know Mike Pompeo is serious about running for president if he goes keto in the next six weeks. Then you'll know. <laughs> oh Jesus, Rick. Hey, folks, if you haven't heard, every single week we do a special bonus episode for Beast Inside, the Daily Beast membership program. Sometimes we interview senators like Cory Booker or the folks who explain what's happening behind the scenes in media like Jim Acosta or Soledad O'Brien. Sometimes we just have fun and talk to our favorite comedians and actors like Busy Phillips or Billy Eichner. And sometimes it's just Molly and I shooting the shit. You can get all of our episodes in your favorite podcast app of choice by becoming a Beast Inside member, where you'll support the Beast's fearless journalism, as well as getting full access to podcasts and articles. To become a member, head to newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or I prefer Don't you? 
That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows. I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will, because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands, from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. Travis View is the host of the podcast QAnon Anonymous. And today he's going to talk to us about how everyone's favorite loony conspiracy theory is going. Can you just tell us a little bit about when you started following QAnon? Sure. I really first started uh, getting interested in QAnon in uh, July of 2018. I was kind of vaguely aware of QAnon before that, but I kind of dismissed it as sort of like a, a weird 8chan thing. And there are a lot of those. They're usually not worth paying attention to. But what really caught my attention was the fact that I noticed that Charlie Kirk started boosting some bogus QAnon statistics. And that that worried me a whole lot because, you know, he, Charlie Kirk is, a, is not is not a fringe figure. And uh, if right. like QAnon was was reaching someone with uh, basically as much uh, clout as Charlie Kirk, then that signaled to me that was worth paying attention to more closely. Yeah, yeah. Huge audience of senior citizens. <laughs> That's not great. No, it's not. When do you think QAnon started in earnest? Well, I mean, QAnon started. I mean, in earnest. Uh, I can I, I can identify the exact date. It was uh, October twenty eighth, two thousand seventeen. This was the day of the very first Q drop, which uh, which implied that. Um, which implied that basically that uh, Hillary Clinton's arrest was imminent. Didn't get a whole lot of traction at first. This might have been one of the sort of the handful of like, you know, insider anons on the chans, on 4chan, who claimed that, that they have uh, that they have some sort of secret government information. But this particular one, because it was, it was a little bit more gamified, a little bit more exciting, and plus the fact that it was sort of pushed on other platforms like YouTube and Twitter, it caught on. In a, in a really surprising way. The thing that I'm so struck by with QAnon, we've seen all these in the last two days, all of this news about these Marjorie Taylor Greene, Facebook posts, CNN, K-File dug up. My question is, it feels to me like Marjorie Taylor Greene is not an outlier, that there is a large group of these middle-aged women who 
believe this. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, it is surprisingly popular. And I mean, not just with middle-aged women, but with a surprisingly diverse age groups. Yeah, I mean, with the case of like Marjorie Taylor Greene, I mean, I feel like I was I was sounding the alarm about her you know, like six months ago because <laughs> like it was it was clear that she had some really really deranged views. You know, she bought into the idea, for example, that uh, JFK Jr.'s death in 1999 wasn't due to a tragic plane crash that uh, due to a you know a pilot error but rather he was murdered by hillary clinton he she claimed this uh once during a conference speech and so yesterday it emerged that marjorie taylor green or what i like to call her as the alpha of the mega karens <laughs> that she believes in this frazzle drip conspiracy yes what is that Oh my gosh. So yes, there is a there is a belief among QAnon followers in a basically a, a Hillary Clinton snuff film. They believe that there is this there's this there's this secret recording that's somewhere on the dark web of Hillary Clinton and human Aberdeen basically mutilating a child. Now And Hillary wearing the child's face, right? Yes, yes. They're both wearing the child's face. Now this is just bizarre stuff from a 70s horror film. Like there's nothing, <laughs> there's no substance to it whatsoever. It's just bizarre fantasy. But some people convince themselves that it is real. Sometimes people will even say falsely that they've seen it or something like that. But yeah, this is like one of the more, even even within QAnon, which is full of really bizarre out there beliefs, this is one of the sort of the fringe of the fringe. So it was surprising that, uh, you know, she, that she believed it and was managed to become a congresswoman afterwards. The JFK thing, just to get back to it for a second, there is a guy who goes to QAnon rallies and also I've seen him at CPAC who claims to be JFK Jr. Yes, you know, the funny thing about, yes, Vincent Fuchsia, I think, I believe his name is, or Fusca. Yeah. Yeah, he seems like a great guy. I mean, he is—he is a funny guy. I mean, he's this—he's uh, this Italian American guy from Pennsylvania. So he's not, you know, even you know Irish Catholic as, right. as the Kennedys were. But the funny thing is that a lot of a lot of QAnon followers they kind of latched on to the idea that he was uh, secretly JFK Jr. in disguise and that he had faked his death in 1999. And I don't think he really ever actually positively claimed that. Yes, I am JFK Jr., but rather he simply did not chose not to deny it. He kind of rolled with it. He kind of allowed people to believe it once once he realized. So he's he's kind of a funny case. You know, great reporter, of course, at Daily Beast. Will Sommer has has tried to uh, talk to him on a few occasions to try and get his story, but uh, Vincent Fuchsia has uh, demurred. And the interesting thing about Vincent Fuchsia is he doesn't look like JFK Jr. at all. <laughs> no, that's the, not that's even the a little. One. It's like they always they always bring up like their their weird like uh, you know they look at JFK Jr. and then look at Vietnam Fuchsia and they have the side by side photos and they imply that he looks similar but man I do not see it. it is bizarre that people think so. Here's a question for you now. Q has stopped posting. That's right. There has not been a single Q drop uh, since December 8th of last year. So if Q has stopped posting, and then the son of the four, the 8chan guy who is Q said everybody should get over it, right? Yes, that's uh, that's uh, you're, you're talking about, yeah, Ron Watkins. Yeah, Ron Watkins is the administrator of 8coon, the site where uh, Q has posted. And he is QAnon, right? 
he is almost certainly um, authored some Q drops. He was instrumental in uh, sort of hosting Q. So yeah, I mean, when we say like who is Q, is is probably him and and Jim and perhaps a couple other people who worked with them. But yeah, he is certainly one of the people who was definitely uh, behind the the whole Q operation. So with that, on your most recent episode, you talked a lot about one of. I think the most instructive books about this era, uh, When Prophecy Fails from Leon Festinger. It seems like we're now in the prophecy has failed stage of Q. What is the reaction that you're seeing from people with this? So yeah, the, the reaction, I mean, it was essentially textbook. If you've read, you know, uh, When Prophecy Fails by Fessinger, I agree. This is a, you got, if you want to understand what's going on with the QAnon community, you need to familiarize yourself with that book and cognitive distance theory. So yeah, what happens at first, there was a lot of shock and, and disappointment and rage that the feeling like they have been misled, QAnon followers, um, uh, some of them, you know, acted very stressed and felt and acted like they had been deceived and uh, even despairing at times because they felt like Q wasn't coming to the rescue. But then uh, afterwards, they started, uh, you know, they started in with their rationalizations. They started doing things like explaining why certain things weren't uh, what they seemed as predicted, basically. They are doing everything that we thought they would do. They're going to continue to believe it regardless of what is true. Fun. So bad. <laughs> it's a sort of mass hallucination, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very sad. I mean, these people, they're, yeah, they're, they're very uh, detached from reality. It really comes down to this really super intense hatred and of everything that they consider to be part of uh, the establishment. And there is this kind of like this really hyper populist movement in that sense. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it, there's, there's a way to be skeptical about institutions or skeptical about the mainstream, I think in a healthy, productive way. But these people, they, they instead, they sort of reject all of the mainstream media and all of medical science and all, uh, you know, the regular government functions just uh, out of hand. And they, they they decide to replace it with uh, their own kind of version of reality and they declare that good enough. And then this is what leads them into these delusions. It really is an anti-government conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there obviously we have a you know a, a lot of long tradition of like you know anti-government uh, movements here here in the U.S. And um, but um, yeah, I mean, it is is the belief that it's not merely that you know the problem is that the government needs to be reformed or we need to get better people in the office or anything like that. It's the belief that the entire institution is irredeemably corrupt and needs to be profoundly cleansed to the extent that there's a mass arrest event and whether all sort of seized by the military and then sent to Guantanamo Bay or something. They want a big dramatic thing to happen in order to institute basically this, this revolution, this kind of military junta that fixes everything. What do you think will happen to these people? Do you think they'll ever be like, oh, Democrats aren't killing children and running sex rings out of pizza shops? Probably not. I mean, a lot of these people have devoted years of their life to this kind of thing. They have, you know, they've made sacrifices. They've spent hours at the computer. Sometimes they've hurt family, uh, they've hurt the relationships with family members. Sometimes they've actually hurt their career. And when you have like, you know, sacrificed that much, 
it's it's incredibly painful to realize that you have been duped and you are not actually on the right path. So it's just if what probably is going to happen is that you know a lot of them will continue just doubling down and continue believing it and continue believing it probably just for the feeling of community with other QAnon followers, or they'll uh, you know they'll the the bigger risk is that they'll get radicalized into an even more dangerous, even more militant kind of extremism. Travis, since you study this so much more than average people, I'm curious, you know, January 6th was like kind of the like moment where anybody who was like, oh, this is harmless started to be like, oh, maybe it's not. Can you talk about any of the other ways you're seeing this affect a society that you think are under discussed? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that the biggest way this harm society is actually kind of subtle and quiet. It's not as ostentatious and loud as the, you know, the capital insurrection. Um, it, or what it does is that it hurts people's relationships. It hurts people's ability to connect with other people in their life and hurts their ability to connect with other things that they might otherwise enjoy. It becomes an obsession. It becomes their, you know, their primary way of interacting with the world is this fantasy world. And it's, uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's like an addiction. And, you know, and people, they, you know, they, they choose this, this bizarre alternate world that serves nothing, does not help them, does not even help their own goals in any way in lieu of things that they might actually give them joy and might actually, you know, help them uh, understand the world, might actually lead to productive relationships. And, but that, those kinds of things don't lead to headlines. But that is the, that's what I think is the most, uh, most, the most widespread destruction that comes from QAnon. Did QAnon have like cruises or conferences or anything? <laughs> well, they might. I bet they do. As a matter of fact, I mean, they. Um, I've. I personally have been to six different QAnon events, and this includes uh, QAnon like marches and rallies. And what there, I have been to one QAnon conference. There, it was in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and um, there, there was. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a group of QAnon followers and a lot of like QAnon sort of leaders who uh, who discussed. It was just QAnon and Q drops. So yeah, there it does exist. I don't know how much it's happening nowadays because uh, you know COVID is still um, having a lot of problems. So a lot of a lot of conference rooms aren't willing to book them. I imagine, but um, but yeah, I imagine once we once the pandemic gets under control, the QAnon conferences will probably start roaring back. How to life. are they with you? Are they mad at you, or are they like cover me? You know, the funny thing is, is that, is that, is that some of them are mad at me, but some of them are simply believe that I'm, I'm simply a lost soul. I mean, I'm kind of unique because, because <laughs> I'm not someone, uh, in, in terms of uh, unique in, in terms of the types, the types of people who cover this, because I don't come from a government background and I don't come from a mainstream media background. And so uh, as a reason for that reason, they're a little bit uh, easier on me than they are on, uh, sort of more traditional reporters. They kind of think I'm a sort of a lost soul. They think that one day I'll realize that I'm mistaken, and then I'll come come to them and say, I'm so sorry <laughs> for dissuading people from this movement. Jesus, that is really terrifying. <laughs> thank you, Travis. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'll let you go first today, Molly Junkfast. Who is your fuck that guy? My fuck that guy today is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has even more of these insane videos, insane conspiracy theories, and just, ins- I mean, she's basically been on Facebook being an insane boomer for the last <laughs> two years. And 
And I would say that <laughs> in this, I also, um, <laughs> I, I am not a boomer, so I don't want to get in trouble. Do you guys have a favorite of MTG's crazy conspiracy theories? Because mine is definitely that a space laser started the California wildfires. <laughs> a space I mean, laser? all bad. 9-11 didn't happen, right? Space laser. I mean, there's just so much fuckery. And, but the other thing I would say is like, you you can't have a Marjorie Taylor Greene conversation without having a Kevin McCarthy conversation because, like, she would not be there. Of course. And that is because it is now the party of Q. It is the party of crazies. It's the party of assholes. It's the party of dark, shitty people. And and they've normalized the darkness and the shittiness of Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she's a shitty person. She's a bad person. And also she wanted to put a gun and put a bullet. She liked a tweet that said, I mean, it just, there's no, the depths to her, her, you know, disgustingness, no, no bounds. So she is my fuck that guy. Rick, who is your? My fuck that guy today is Mr. Douglas Mackey. Oh, this Douglas Mackey. You have to explain the whole backstory. I'm going to give you the whole backstory. Douglas Mackey is, has been arrested. I'm not going to describe. I'm not going to describe in detail what he did to my kids um, on the show, but I am yeah, going to. I'm going but, to address it. But is he a is he a quote unquote journalist? What is he? No, he's not a journalist of any kind. He's a fucking troll. Okay, but was he a Breitbart? No, he's just a troll. He was at a hedge fund for a while. Okay. So the FBI yesterday, folks, arrested a guy named Douglas Mackey. Now you've never heard of Douglas Mackey. Unless you are particularly submerged in the Twitter subculture of flame wars of the 2016 era and beyond. Douglas Mackey went by the name on Twitter of Ricky Vaughn. He was a flaming, raging, blatant white supremacist asshole of the highest possible order. He had a lot of friends and followers who, who later whitewashed their little love of him, like Mike Cernovich and Jack Posobiec and all these other idiots and the whole Breitbart crew, the whole, all these guys, they loved Ricky Vaughn. He's the troll of trolls. So Douglas Mackey was arrested by the FBI yesterday. Ricky Vaughn in cuffs. I'm waiting for the mugshot because although he played the character on Twitter of the badass, he used the, the picture of Charlie Sheen from the movie Major uh, League, you know, as his thing. Douglas Mackey is a soft-skinned, soft-handed, poncy a Middlebury College guy from Vermont who was a raging white supremacist on Twitter. Now, in the 2016 race, Douglas Mackey, in his Ricky Vaughn character, went after my kids. At the point, at that point, my son was in high school, my daughter was in college. Went after my kids repeatedly. Now, Douglas Mackey has been arrested uh, for conspiracy against the constitutional rights of others, which is a rarity in the complaint. But he went out and bought text messaging uh, services. And those text messaging services were targeted African-Americans, and they said, you can vote by text. You don't have to vote. It was the voter fraud, the election fraud, that Republicans are screeching about, like stuck pigs all the time now. And the hit on this, at the minimum number, they believe that 4,850 voters okay, sent in their quote-unquote vote by text and therefore did not vote. He sent them a message saying... Did you know you can vote for Hillary by voting for text? Just text 555-whatever with your vote. Now, on the Tucker Carlson white power fish stick hour last night, he, of course, came out and said, Ricky Vaughn has been arrested for making memes. No, no. He was arrested because he engaged in electoral fraud. 
He engaged in a fraud which sought to to abrogate the constitutional right to vote of African Americans. But anyway, I just want to send out a big old shout out to Douglas Mackey, who will never, ever, ever again not be a guy who was arrested for uh, election fraud and never, ever again be a guy who can have a job anywhere other than being able to say, hello, welcome to Olive Garden. Would you like our unlimited breadstick basket? I'll be your server, Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. Ricky Vaughn. Fuck that guy. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks in The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Molly Jongfast, and he's at the Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.